Welcome to the root of all success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs unlocked success and how their stories can help you do the same. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason has built multi-million dollar businesses that have been featured in Inc. Magazine and Entrepreneur Magazine. His life's mission now is helping entrepreneurs live what he calls hashtag the exit lifestyle. Introducing TEDx speaker, mastermind leader, author, entrepreneur, cigar aficionado, motorcycle enthusiast, and host of the root of all success, the real Jason Duncan. The The real real Jason Jason Duncan. Duncan. Welcome to another edition of the Entrepreneur Masters Series. I am the real Jason Duncan, and I'm honored that you're choosing to spend the next hour or so with me and my special guest, Neil Twa, as we talk about how to 10X your e-commerce business with these four steps. Um, you know, we, we a lot of people join this live, and we're watching this live, but, but even more people listen to this or watch this after the fact on my YouTube channel in my email list, I send out the replay, or even on my podcast, The Root of All Success, we do a replay special edition of the Entrepreneur Master Series on my podcast uh, about once every other week. So whether you're listening to this here live with us, thank you for being here live. If you are, it's going to be great because we get to do interactive stuff, ask questions, or you're watching this later. Thank you for whatever, whatever, wherever you're doing this, however you're doing it. Thank you for being here. It's an honor. What is the Entrepreneur Master Series? Well, the Entrepreneur Master Series is a 90-minute live webinar that's designed to bring high-value content to you as an entrepreneur. It's supposed to be practical and it's tactical to help you as an entrepreneur get your business to the next level. And of course, ultimately, as you hear me, the real Jason Duncan teach all the time, to exit without exiting. Now, not every topic that we talk about that's specifically towards exiting, sometimes we talk about marketing, sometimes we talk about real estate, but whatever we talk about, we're trying to get you as a business owner to the place where you don't have to operate every single day in the weeds. Today's topic is actually going to help bridge that gap by showing you a way to maybe take e-commerce into a passive role where Neil and his company can handle that. And we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But twice a month, I bring, I bring on experts like Neil to do this show. Uh, this is the last show of 2022. I'm taking the next uh, six weeks off for the holidays, not doing the webinar. I'm not taking them off. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. But I'm taking it off from doing this webinar for the next six weeks. My next one is coming up in January. And that's when that one actually, the two that I'm doing in January are all on taxes and finances. Uh, I'll tell more about that at the very end of the show today. So stick around to the very end. I'm going to tell you what our topic and our guest expert is going to be for January's first show uh, starting back in January 2023. It's hard to believe that we're already here at the end. But let me, let me, uh, let me tell you about what today's show is going to be. So it is the topic is 10x your e-commerce business by taking these four steps. And what we're going to talk about today is four specific things that you can do to 10x your business. Now, you might say, well, Jason, I'm not already in e-commerce, but I'm wanting to get into that spot. Well, 10x is 10x. The cool thing about math is it works no matter where you start from. Math works. And so 10x is 10x. So if you're at zero, we're going to take you to 10x. I know zero times anything is zero, but forgive the math analogy. Every analogy breaks down somewhere. But we're going to take your business to the next level with what you're going to learn. Now, if you're already in the e-commerce space, what you're about to learn from Neil 
is definitely a way that you're going to increase your revenue, increase your profitability, and really make running that business better. And how do we know? Because Neil Twa is going to be our guest. He is the founder and CEO of a company called Voltage Digital Marketing. And he's been launching, operating, and growing private label e-commerce businesses for the last nine years. And as of today, he and his clients have sold over $100 million in physical products, primarily through the fulfillment by Amazon or FBA sales channel. Now, Neil shares today and with other people, he's going to share his blueprint for how to build an online business that can generate a passive six-figure, almost automated income in under 12 months while setting up your business for potentially millions on an exit within 24 months. So I want you to welcome to the show, Neil Twa. Neil, go ahead and turn your camera and audio on and let's, uh, let's get rocking and rolling. All right, got to find all the buttons to push. Hello, thanks for having me on the call. <laughs> there he is. What's happening, Neil? I'm doing all right today. How are you, sir? I'm good. It's good to see you. We, we've met, yes, sir. Um, I guess, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember exactly how we met, but uh, we've, we've known each other now for a couple of years. I've sent a lot of people over to you to, to, to help them get into the e-commerce space. And you've done one of these other master series with me. We did one mm -hmm. last year. Maybe it was earlier this year. I can't remember. Oh, maybe but, six or uh, eight months ago, roughly somewhere there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so we're, we're going to kind of pick up a little bit where we left off. So for those of you that are interested in hearing what we talked about the last time, go to my YouTube channel. I'm going to put it in the chat window so you can click on it if you're live here, but it's youtube.com slash the real Jason Duncan. And you can go to, there's a playlist in there called the Entrepreneur Master Series. And you can see all of the past episodes that I've done. And one is going to have this guy's face on it, Neil Twa, and you can go watch that. So Neil, how is e-commerce treating you this year? E-commerce is doing great this year, actually, um, you know, with all things considered and many of the, the worldly things going on of fear and concerns and inflation and other stuff, people are still buying products. Imagine that. And, you know, they're still buying gas, even though the prices are up. So people are still buying things. So that's always good news. Um, and definitely business is uh, progressing and continuing to grow this year for ourselves and our clients. And that's always a very positive thing. Now we talked about on the last episode about voltage digital uh, marketing talked about how you, how that company started, but we, yeah. people can go back and listen to that again to get kind of the backstory. But today we want to really kind of focus in on this idea of how do we maximize what we've got, or if we're about to build something, how do we maximize it as we start to build it? So let me uh, ask you this question to get things started. Cause we're going to try to go pretty deep, pretty fast, but, um, e-commerce in general, as I understand it, and I want you to correct me or, or validate my answer here, is anything that is sold online, whether physical or in, you know, intangible product, where it's a service, a, a course or something like that, yeah. that that's e-commerce, electric commerce, right? That's right. So what you, though, you've specialized in physical products. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to do that as opposed to courses or intangible products? Well, so I've got information background um, and have sold informational products or web apps or done Legion and stuff in the e-commerce world that was pre-physical product. But one of the things is I started to accumulate some dollars and money and looking where to deploy assets, deploy capital, put it to work, you know, get your soldiers out there, et cetera, was whether I put it into traditional, you know, monetary investment vehicles like Wall Street, or do you go through real estate or do you invest in other businesses, et cetera. 
Uh, and one of the areas it was brought to me was physical products. You should invest in physical product and branding because you have a marketing and background in you know driving people and awareness and, and brand development. You just haven't done it in the physical aspect. And oh, by the way, that cash coming out of your you know bank, your fiat, et cetera, will be put into a tangible physical asset of a, a brand. Okay, so with building the brand and having the physical products in it, I can take both a virtual storefront of e-commerce through a you know website, Amazon, Walmart, et cetera. And I can take physical product inventory and I can have that deployed into that virtual storefront. So I get kind of the best of both worlds. It's not a purely information, which it could be sort of in, uh, however, it is taking capital and translating it into uh, a physical product that's worth more um, when I buy it. Uh, and it's worth more when I sell it, of course, as I can increase that value of the proposition through the brand. So I take cash and I put it into physical products. That's a pretty cool way, huh? Just like people put money into real estate or other ventures. Instead of sticking it in Wall Street where somebody else takes a hold of it and it's still in a virtual e-com sense because it's all digitalized, I actually have a physical product that someone is getting their hands onto. And I, that resonated with me a lot uh, in both the, the financial as well as the understanding of the business model. So you you use the word real estate and the phrase real estate. And I, I'm glad you did that because one mm -hmm. of the working titles for this show when we were trying to figure out what to, how to title our show together <laughs> yeah. today was one of the working titles that I was thinking about is how to get into digital real estate and become yep. a passive millionaire. Because yeah, we're it, no doubt. This is digital real estate. I mean, it is digital real estate. Yes, absolutely. Someone may own a piece of that property online, but I can go in with a brand and take part of that property back and own and you know plant my own digital stake in my brand online and create that space in a you know virtual sense. And there's unlimited amount of real estate online. Why do you think that um, e-commerce is so popular for people on our side of the equation where we're trying to get into, why is it so, why do people want to get into, I mean, we got people here who are live today, people watching this later, I want to get into e-commerce. Why is it so popular? Well, in its simplest terms, if, you've, if it's done correctly, um, it creates a lifestyle-driven business. It means if you've envisioned a lifestyle or you're executing on an idea of a lifestyle that you want and you've taken that path and you're looking for a way to make it easier, faster, you know, more simple, et cetera. E-commerce can be the gas in that engine because it allows you to create uh, physical products, but you don't have to warehouse them. It allows you to create business and economies of scale, but I don't need in people, warehouse space or employees. It allows me to exemplify my lifestyle by using e-commerce as the gas in that engine. Whereas if I take capital or go out or I have to um, create some additional value somewhere else, I may have to take a business that I go and create to try to build a lifestyle. So I may be working 40 to 60 hours a week, or I may be going out and working uh, in some other component of a business model. The goal, of course, is I want more time with my family or friends, et cetera. I wanna travel more. I may need more money so I can leave my job or leave this situation or stop something else I'm doing I don't want to do in order to gain that lifestyle goal. They're two different paths. And what I recognized was I wanted the lifestyle first and I was willing to take the risk to get that lifestyle. And then e-commerce literally fit into my ability to accomplish that lifestyle. Uh, and because of that, for me, it made complete sense to take this on. And so when I talk to people, typically they resonate with that. They, they want some component. They want to understand how did you do that? How are you making it work? How have you been able to do it for 10 years? Um, you know, where, where do I get involved? How much time does it take me to get involved? What activities would I actually do? You know, um, how much capital do I really need to, you know, put into this to make it successful? Um, there's a reasonable amount of questions there that are pretty simply answered through e-commerce, um, by creating your own, you know, storefront, your own brand and your own ability to, uh, stay virtual 
take the kids for a month to uh, Florida, hang out on the beach, and business keeps running. It's a pretty cool way to do business, in my opinion. That is right. And that's what I'm all about, the exit lifestyle. I won't be exit able lifestyle. to live that exit lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, well, actually without exiting, right, which is something we're going to cover today. That's right. So if you are here live, uh, you've got the opportunity to use your Q&A bubble at the bottom of the Zoom screen. I just put a note in the chat window. So don't use the chat box to answer ask questions. Use the Q&A. So hit the Q&A button. That's a little bubble. It's got two little speech bubbles. Just cl click on that. A little Q&A bubble will pop up. Box will pop up. At any time, anytime you can ask a question right there. You type it and Neil and I will be able to answer that live in our right. webinar today. So thank you guys for being here. Now, Neil, I kind of want to turn it over to you. I'll let okay. you drive and I'll answer. I'll ask uh, more inquisitive questions as we carry on. But what are the ways to 10x our e-commerce business in, yeah. uh, in 2023? Absolutely. Well, I'm going to have some strategy overarching four of those topics and we can go a little tactical into each uh, of those verticals as we talk about this stuff here for the next 30, 45 minutes or whatever it takes to kind of make sure we get the get this out. Right. Um, but in essence, the four components I want you to understand are profitability. I want you to understand growth and I want you to understand scale and exit. Okay. These are going to be our strategies. These are going to be our overarching topics from there. I want to dig in a little to each of those and talk about what that actually means from my perspective in an e-commerce world of business. And of course, business experience around building companies and businesses that just so happen to use e-commerce as their mechanism uh, of industry, if you will, and why we choose Amazon FBA as our first go-to market. And then why we will market and multi-channel beyond Amazon FBA once a brand proves itself. Once we see the upside potential for that, we take it into a multi-channel mode, uh, grow and scale those things, and then exit them. And sometimes we exit them without the exit. And I'll talk a little bit about that, which is very much in line with what Jason uh, does and very much the way we think about business too, uh, as we build this particular vertical called e-commerce. Now, e-commerce itself, just to be very clear, as we've discussed, has multiple fronts. If you're looking at different marketplaces, you could consider retail, wholesale, online, arbitrage, uh, wholesale FBA, and private label FBA, as well as white label, uh, different models in divisions within e-commerce. And I guess the final one would be information selling uh, that you can use from a digital e-commerce ex um, experience. I have niched and chosen to focus on the private label brand building. And there's a reason why, as I'll explain in the next topics, uh, where that makes a lot of sense. For the most important part of any of these models, it's the profitability. At the end of the day, if I cannot pay myself, if I cannot pay for operations, logistics, employees, and or virtual assistants and contractors to support the growth of my business, I business does not make, uh, it does not make. I cannot run that business as a single operator to scale. Now, what do I consider scale? I consider eight and nine figures scale, just so we're clear. Six and seven figures is just proving that the market is growing. At that point, you can still be in a single operator stage, but no one gets to multi-seven or eight figures or larger in a single man operation mode. Okay, It's just not simply possible, feasible, and you should probably not do it because then you're probably working 100 hours a week and hating life. There are ways to do this much easier. Okay, So it's a growth in economies of scale. We start with profitability. And at the bottom line of e-commerce with physical private label products, it comes down to one unit, one unit of product has operational cost, marketing, logistics, and other, uh, you know, in the case of Amazon or other marketplaces or pay traffic, it has fees, okay? It has cost of goods, it has marketing, storage fees, 
referral fees, media fees, and other things. At the bottom of all of those numbers, there is typically what happening, what's happening in this marketplace is people are starting to focus on the wrong margins, maybe because of business fundamentals, maybe because of gurus and courses, I don't know what. Maybe because people aren't being taught business 101 in school anymore. But at the end of the day, there's a difference between gross profit, gross margin, ROI, and net profit, okay? If we don't understand the differences in these basic terminologies, we don't have the fundamentals enough in gear to really understand the profitability matrix that we follow. Uh, what we've coined in our company is the green light process. In other words, can I green light pencil in profitability for these products and to know with 80% confidence that when they go to market, they will sell. The other 20% gap I'm looking to find from that profitability, that product research, that go to market test over a 90 day period is the velocity of sales, the interest in the customer, and the amount of traction I can get from that product in the marketplace uh, from my brand launching against my competitors. How much market share can I take? How many sales can I make? We call that velocity of sales, you know, because certain products will sell, but others will sell really well and they'll sell at a higher volume. But why? So the question comes down to how do we get to an understanding of going by the numbers, okay, to ensure with confidence, like I do, that this product is sellable, it sells well, and it all backs into these three profit metrics, okay, net percentage, net ROI, and unit ROI. When those three metrics within our process go green, we complete a competitive analysis, we determine that there's competitors in the market, we determine <clears throat> differences between innovation and invention, so be very clear about what we're doing, we're innovating, we are not inventors. I have been an inventor. I set on patents. I have invented things that are really cool. No one will ever hear about and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars figuring them out only to find out that they're not going to go anywhere. Yay, great ideas. So at the end of this, we're innovators. We find opportunities to take things that are already selling in the marketplace and we simply copy but innovate. All right. So what does that look like? I find a product that I know is selling in the marketplace through numbers, estimations, algorithms, and learning, we can understand how the competition is selling that product and how well it's doing. And then we say, where can we innovate that product and differentiation? How can we make it just a little bit better, add on just a little feature, listen to the customer and say, hey, by the way, here's a better version of this existing product. One simple one right now would be the difference between a uh, Instapot and an air fryer, okay, which are just innovations of grandma's good old crock pot that's set on the counter, right? that you know she put on a Sunday afternoon and you had to crock pot potlucks, et cetera, and everybody had these things and most of us were afraid they were gonna burn the houses down. But there was a slight innovation of this thing called Instapot, right? Which is basically, we're not your grandma's crock pot. I mean, that was almost the slogan they ran on, right? And now they're a billion dollar company. It was easier, faster, it was burn the house down. You can make an organic meal really nice and Instapot's really great. You leave it at home, you put it on the counter, you come home and everybody circles around and says, yay, mom and dad, you had a great dinner. Thanks for that. We all had a family environment. We sat down and we had a hot meal, right, at home. Instapot has kind of revolutionized grandma's crock pot, but it was just an innovation, not an invention. The crock pot was the invention, right? Now we take one step forward, what's happened? Air fryers. Air fryers are the next innovation, okay? What an air who has an air fryer, right? Do you have an air fryer? I see you, your wife does. We have two. The yes, air we fryer. Love air fryer. Yeah, who doesn't have an air fryer? Who's not on TikTok or on Instagram or social or still, you know, YouTube shorts or whatever out there watching for the Instapot and the air fryer, you know, cooking, uh, 30 second cooking things on TikTok to look at all these new ways to make things in the air fryer, right? I mean, every time I get on there and start watching one of those, if I get past six seconds, all of a sudden every video is like, here's another, you know, air fryer recipe. And I'm like, oh, honey, we got to do this. So I got two of those. Um, but the air fryer is just an innovation. It's an innovation against the problems people were 
resonating from grandma's crock pot and of course the instapot so what do we get we get the air fryer so if you understand the evolution of invention versus innovation you understand where we're going we have learned that innovations allow opportunity and market by simply following the leaders and coming in as number two it's okay to be number two yay we're number two everybody thinks you got to be number one or number one doesn't make money but in actuality number two makes millions if i were to say mcdonald's to you what do you immediately think billions and billions served who do you think they're competing with burger king Wendy's. boom if i say walmart what do you think of target yep if i say cvs what do you think of walgreens absolutely for every product in the market there's a counter product there's a number one and a number two does number two make billions absolutely the the idea here is to break down the mindset that you need to be number one first to market and that you have to have the most unique product and that is not true so as we are looking for profitability in products, we're looking for innovations and in products that will be profitable, can compete and add a different value uh, perception and solve problems the original product didn't. And then we can slip into number two. The beauty of doing number two on Amazon is that you don't take all the arrows. You're not going to take all the slings. You can slingshot in off of the other seven or eight competitors and get into the number two position right off the slipstream of number one and make millions of dollars. At some point, you may even slingshot, you know, like a NASCAR past number one, which can happen. Amazon might even be the number one seller and we can compete against them and slingshot past them too. How do we do that? Profitability. Profitability and innovation are the two leading things of the first topic I want you to understand. I also want you to understand if you are clicking and buying products and you got an air fryer that you got from Amazon, there's a good chance, okay, of the last 10 products you bought from Amazon, seven of them were sold by people like me, third-party sellers. 80% of the sellers in the platform are small businesses. It's important to understand that because in that market, it's still a free market capitalistic economy inside of Amazon's marketplace. I can compete on price, brand, and product, and I can go head-to-head -head with major corporations in some instances beat them at their own game inside that marketplace. And for that, I love that marketplace. Now, I don't like certain capitalistic things about other corporations. We're not going to get into that here, geopolitics. But the end of it is that I can compete. I might not like what they do as a corporation, but in that marketplace, I am going to head-to-head with more other small businesses, marketers, and brands than I am major corporations, and I can compete and make billions of dollars doing it. And that's what you should understand about that first topic, first opportunity, but understand it's profitability. So tactically, I'm looking for a product that is selling in the market that I can innovate, that I can make more than $12 in profit per unit, okay? If I can make more than $12 in net profit per unit, which means I've covered my margin, I've covered my costs, I've covered my Amazon fees, I've covered my... PPC marketing fees. I have made $12 for every unit that is sold. I have covered all of my costs and I've ordered another unit to replace the one that just sold. Okay. At that minimum line, I've understood base profitability. Because of that, I am then going to be looking at products that are usually above $30 in retail price point. They are typically $50 to $100, maybe up to $125 in retail price point within Amazon. I call that the tier two seller. Okay, as well as a tier two buyer. So there are one, two, three levels. All right, low, medium, and high within Amazon. Typically, sellers in Amazon who are amateurs who don't understand what I'm telling you or the profitability or have never been taught it will go to market on a sub $50 product and not have enough profit to last it. They marry their products and they die on the vine. But you're going to know better because you're listening today, right? So we're going to sell products that have a minimum. It usually, when done correctly, you will find profits in $24.50 you know, or more in profit per unit. And you can compete against other brands that are in that market. And if they've been in the marketplace and you've done your due diligence, even if they have two or three or 4,000 reviews, I don't care. 
I am going to come in with a better plan of action with a stronger brand innovation and I will simply go in and take my additional profit and buy all their customers away from them inside the marketplace. Till at such time as the algorithm says, oh, you are actually the better seller, great. Here's more traffic because Amazon's product system is traffic based. It's search engine, it's organic. You can make organic sales that create nearly passive, almost automated income on Amazon once these products are ranked in ranking. I've had products out there for five plus years making money every day, week and month like clockwork, okay? It is doable, it is profitable when done with these metrics. The profit will not grow a business beyond unit one if the product itself is not profitable. And I, I mean profit, I don't mean a dollar. I have a lot of people that come to me and say, hey, I got this product, I had a guy come in not too long ago, 3 million in sales, 2.9 million in costs. I'm like, dude, you got $100,000 your job. You just made Amazon and everybody else money. Like, wouldn't you like to have taken more than 40, you know, like 40 or 50% of that home in net profit? Let's figure out what we got to do to elevate your brand. So you get down to it, and most of his products had less than $5 in profit per unit. So he's moving a lot of volume, but not a lot of profit. So the strategy of profitability in e-com isn't how many units I move per product, it's how much profitability I have in a product. And then I put more of those products in the marketplace, so then my portfolio moves more units. Does that make sense? So instead of having one product doing 10,000 units a month, I'll have 10 products each doing 1,000 units a month, one of them goes down, the business isn't jeopardized, the portfolio isn't uh, going to succumb or capitulate the business, and I'm going to uh, have to dissolve the business. But at this point, I have multiple products in a portfolio running that is increasing the volume, but also keeping the profitability. And quarter by quarter, my profitability will stay up because my product and portfolio is up. And my annualized run rate will return 12 to 15% return on my brand. Okay, I can't do that in a uh, real estate, usually, uh, unless you're doing REI, or I can't do it on the Wall Street unless I'm going to say an average of, you know, spending millions of dollars for hedge funds managers to, to move my portfolio around where I have no control and it's this digital money thing. In this instance, I control those returns and I control what happens next with the brand. And because of that, I have control over growth, which is the second topic. The most important topic beyond profitability is how do I actually grow? What does growth look like? Within these marketplaces of e-com, growth could look like moving beyond the Amazon channel. It could be taking that brand from Amazon and moving it into a, you know, a Wayfair or a Walmart or another marketplace of sellers, uh, or opening a Shopify store and sending traffic and people into that storefront and, and exposing the brand to more channels, okay? Adding on additional sales channels. It could be that you are simply going to double down on your efforts in Amazon where you started and get that business to more than seven figures in sales before you open another channel, which means you need to know there's two ways in Amazon to grow. There is vertical growth in your brand portfolio and there's horizontal growth. Okay, horizontal growth in branding is very different than vertical. In the e-commerce world of direct to consumer marketing where you have a website, Shopify, email, SMS, or some kind of other follow-up system that's talking to the customers and acquiring them, you need to take them through a vertical growth. You have one brand, they purchase one product from you. They get a bundle that says, hey, purchase two of those for a discount. At which point you get an email and says, hey, by the way, because you bought those two, here's a bundle of stuff you might like. And then you might get an SMS message that says, hey, it's a Black Friday deal. Here's this product too. And so you buy more in that vertical, okay? With Amazon, you can do something very similar. Brand vertical products can cross tier one, two, and three, which means products that are 30 to 50 or even lower, they move higher volumes. So you, the strategy we've deployed at times is when a brand is grown and profitable, will actually deploy products in the $30 or less market, not because of profit, 
but because of market share growth, because we will then move 5,000 units or more a month of that product. And then we're going to expose our brand to more people who are going to see our second tier products. Does that make sense? So now we're exposing people, but we don't need the profit. And we're okay if we are just at a dollar or break even on that $30 product because we want the volume of sales. Now, because I'm approaching that very differently, if you're a seller in the 30 or less range, you're now looking at it going, I need that profit. That's my product and brand. I'm looking at it from a marketing uh, brand building uh, opportunity to bring that person into my brand. I'm looking at it from a very different business perspective, right? So I would launch those products to gain more of that brand traction because of my second tier products. And then I would launch a third tier product version of my products that would allow me to sell something more than $125. So what would the product look like in that example? All right. You could buy a $19 cheap Chinese piece of plastic and stick it between your legs and ride down the back of Pike's Peak. We call it a seat. I call it a cheap Chinese piece of plastic. If you're going to go to Pike's Peak, you're not going to ride on a Walmart seat. But let's say you do. Or maybe you just want to go around the block with the kids. That's fine. $20 bike seat. Cool. But there are people like me who've ridden down the bike side, backside of Pike's Peak who would not take that between their legs. <laughs> We're going to take the gel cushioned, you know, a hole in the middle. It won't get your crunch and munch goodies. It's got the gel padding with the removal covers, et cetera. And it's, it's a nice sleek thing and it looks great. And you're like, that's a great one. There's even another one above that that's like $199, right? It's got removable this and it's got adjustable that. And I've seen all kinds of these cool little innovations. But there are three levels of the same product. There are three avatars. It's a psychology of the buyer, right? There are three people to buy each one of those products, but it's all the same product with different innovations. And it's all, it's different avatars. So as I unlock my brand vertical in Amazon, I can unlock those different brand avatars by selling them different elevations of the same product type, but selling it to a different avatar segment. So what most people don't understand is they'll launch one product thinking I'm going to service the guy on Pike's Peak when in actuality they're serving the Walmart buyer. And I've had other people who yeah. missed opportunities who came in and started selling a Walmart product. And I'm like, you've got a Pike's Peak product. Let's get this thing turned around. No wonder you're not profitable, right? And so they turn that around and launch that. I just did a case study with that on David LeBlanc on my High Voltage Business Builders podcast, which you guys are more to go welcome, you know, check out on Apple Podcasts and stuff. It just released. He took a half a million in sales and was making zero profit. He's basically making the vendor money. He was making Amazon money and he himself was taking no profit and about six months and half a million in sales into this. He came across us and said, okay, I want to try what you're doing because I want to get paid <laughs> right now. I'm not making any money. <laughs> so I said, okay, he go, I go, what do you realistically think you can do to get to a million in sales and increase your profitability? How long do you think you would take to do that? He said 18 months. And I said, okay, let's shoot for 12 months. And he's like, uh, I don't know if we can do that in 12 months. I'm like, absolutely. Follow me. We can do this for 12 months. Five months later, we broke seven figures in sales. We increased him from zero to 20% in net profits, right? He averages with 20, but he can be up to 25. Sometimes he's around 18, but he averages around 20. His business is now extremely profitable. We elevated his products. We didn't change his products. We changed his brand. We changed his mindset. We elevated his products and profitability, raised his prices from 100 to 199 in the market with the original product that he was selling by changing the brand perception. And after four months, he did another half a million in sales in only four months. And by month five, he was up to 20% profit every month. Pretty cool, right? So That's understanding, nice. yeah, I thought it was okay. He's pretty happy. Um, he'll, he'll tell you about that on his podcast. But it's one of those things of realization that you are, you are sometimes put into limiting beliefs by what you hear online or from others. But in actuality, that's their limiting belief. That's not actually the sky, right? Uh, the sky yeah. can be someone else's perspective. It could be another place, another life, another experience. And that's a similar way that, you know, products are different. So are people, right? And so are, so are businesses and processes. So 
if we understand growth can happen in Amazon uh, vertically, we also understand it can happen horizontally. So let's say I'm selling brand one, cheap Chinese Walmart plastic seat. I'm moving a couple thousand a month. I'm making $1.50 in profit per unit. Not particularly happy, but I'm making sales, so I'm considering myself in a win position. But that's not true growth. If I sell another thousand units next month, but I don't increase my profitability from $1.50 to $3 or $4, I really haven't gained anything in the next month. Even if I double the amount of units I move, but I don't increase my profit, I have not gained anything. What I've added on is more cost expense and time to run the business. I haven't gained profitability. If you don't gain profitability, you're not actually going to see the next thing, which is scale. So in my growth, if you're selling that first product, we would move you to a secondary brand that would hit to the second level of product avatar, and that's a horizontal growth. Okay, and then you might even launch a third brand in Amazon that touches the third avatar, and that's a horizontal growth as well. So two different ways to scale vertically using the different avatars that are already available to you inside of Amazon. And by the way, this avatar flows through all e-com of physical products. Whether you're shopping on you know, Shopify or any other channel, there are three seller types. I just explained them. Amazon's just one channel in which many, many of them show up. So why not go to the channel that has most of the sales, right? 38% of the market share. So because of that, we have to look at how vertical and horizontal equals scale. That's the third topic. So the third topic of scale is at what point do I, am I able, at what point can I use growth and profitability and what can scale actually look like, okay? So for Amazon, there's a really simple thing that you need to understand. And that is when I find a profitable brand that is growing products profitably, the more products I put in Amazon, the more money I make. It's pretty simple, right? At the end of the day. The more products I put into my brand portfolio on Amazon, the more money I make. So how do I scale an Amazon brand that's working? I find more of the products the customers want within my three avatar tiers and I launch them, okay? I'll test market those first to ensure the demand of which types, you know, shape and size is most in demand from the customer through Amazon's system, okay? And then I will simply follow the gold mine. Once the analytics and statistics kick into this, there's a scientific process here. There's no guessing. There's no emotions. There are just data. And when the data starts coming through, the data shows you where to go. And there's a gold vein in every one of these brands. Okay. And in that gold vein, the customers will tell you what they want. You will see the product start to appear in front of you. And then you realize you've got more products. You got another problem. More products than you can do in an entire lifetime. So now you got to prioritize. Prioritize products and launches and growth. Okay. And following a repeat process, you can get to scale. How fast can you scale in e-commerce? Okay. With Amazon, unlike a DTC channel where you push button traffic clicks and run Facebook ads and marketing and that kind of stuff. And, you know, within 24 hours, you could be hitting a thousand sales a day sometimes on Facebook if you do a great job and you're a really cool marketer with a great product. It takes a lot longer on the e-com side of Amazon. It takes a little bit longer for the product, the organic, and the distribution of traffic in your brand to overcome the other competitors in the marketplace, outrank them metrically, and then see the organic volume of that sale start to go up over a 12-month run rate. The difference between Amazon and what I have liked about staying in this lane for a long time is that in Amazon, PPC ads, similar to Facebook, Google ads, et cetera, can be ran inside Amazon's marketplace. And the antithesis, the parallel, the opportunity here is that I can organically rank my listings in Amazon from my PPC ranking. I can't do that anywhere else. I can't go to Google AdWords and run AdWords traffic and affect my Google ranking on google.com search. Can't do that in Facebook, can't do it anywhere else. 
So the unique opportunity within the Amazon ecosystem is to run campaigns of traffic and the customer acquisition inside Amazon's ecosystem and get the benefit of ranking those products inside of their search engine. Pretty cool, right? So if I'm going to scale a product and understand what to do, I understand that there's a different approach to using the money and attacking the target than a lot of people are able, willing, or even know how to do. And that is when I go to market over 90 days with a product, I'm going to look for a 90 day launch rate in which I'm going to destroy the three bottom competitors with data. I am simply going to tell the engine over 90 days, my product, the profitability and my metrics are better. And I'm going to keep reminding it as it checks on me. And I'm going to do that through ads and PPC campaigns where most sellers and statistically Amazon has said this will only launch less than five branded products. I will launch more than five branded products where most sellers will spend an average of 30 to 40 percent. Uh, what Amazon's terminology is called average cost of sale, what it takes to acquire a customer. OK, and the average is around 30 percent. And then what it takes to run the total advertising cost of that campaign, what is referred to as the tacos, T-A-C-O-S. Uh, within Amazon is another metric we track to look at the holistic life of that product from organic and paid spend. What's the total cost of acquisition for that customer? So when I go into the market and attack in a 90 days, I will be willing to spend up to 200% ACoS where the customer is in that buyable and take that customer away from you before they are ever seeing that competitor. And with that, I will spend that money needed to bring up that organic search result until such time as my average cost of sales and PPC campaign comes down while my organic ranking comes up and around 50%, something amazing is going to happen. All right. The algorithm and distribution inside of Amazon is going to take over. And because I am now beating the metrics of the lowest three competitors in my market, I'm going to receive distribution opportunities. And that means the traffic and demand that the algo is seeing is going to start showing me more than my other three competitors. And it's going to test me. Will I withstand that traffic? Will my conversions withstand that? Will my listing, will my product withstand the amount of traffic? And if the answer is yes, it will move me into a new traffic distribution tier. All of a sudden sales from one month, maybe 20,000 and next month they could be 50,000. That's how fast this can go, okay? I've had case studies of people who've come in and doing about 75,000 a month, four months into their process. And then all of a sudden in the next 30 days they're doing 125,000, right? And then Daniel uh, here, just last, uh, this part of the last year, this we're still in 22, where am I at? Uh, he was in May to June, he went from uh, 125,000 to 300,000 in one month. So he received a new traffic distribution. He didn't do anything else, didn't put any more effort, didn't spend hundred hours a week, didn't launch 50,000 new products. His traffic tier and distribution and metrics had overcome his next tier. And Amazon's distribution said, you got the inventory, the metrics, the dealing, the price point, you got everything we're looking for. Hey, guess what? Good, good luck. Here's all your sales. So they wanted to reward good brands. They want to do that. And they love the opportunity for scale. How fast can that work? I've got a verifiable case study from one of my students who years ago, put this to the test, brought in a million dollars. I said, I want to, I want to get to a million a month. How fast can we do that? I said, well, 18 months. Okay. That's realistic. I think for a business, if you can grow it and scale it and find the right products and get into that node and there's millions of people to get involved in that, it's possible. So he set out to launch these products, took off, followed our processes. And in four months, he hit a million dollars a month. And in eight months, he was at $5 million a month. So the idea that you can't scale on Amazon is not correct. You just have to know how to scale on Amazon. Took his profits and reinvested, found more profitable products and continued to hedge into his gold mine and then just deploy the additional capital necessary 
to get those next products into the market, validate them and scale them too. So scale with Amazon vertically and horizontally is completely possible. He then took that and moved multi-channel. So he opened a Shopify store and started running Facebook ads against it, added on another 120 million in sales a year. And by the time he sold that business, it was over 200 million a year. And in 2021, he sold it for $72 million. That's what he took home. And that was an original Amazon business that moved multi-channel from the products we started with him. And then he sold that company. So it's a pretty cool case study. Um, you guys are welcome to check that out on my site. So the end result is scale is a matter of understanding what you can do within the system and where you should take your product and what you should do next. E-commerce is extremely scalable and it really has nothing to do with how many hours you put in. It has to do with the product and the solution oriented customer that you're after. The customers of the Pike Peaks uh, bike seat that we were just talking about, the guy who's running in Pike's Peak who wants that bike seat for 99 or 199, he's more solution oriented. He's trying to solve the pain point, literally. Not literally. Just, <laughs> literally. So those products that are solution oriented are literally like this. To find products that will scale, find something that causes pain for someone else and provide a solution. Okay. Provide a solution that they're willing to paint for. How could that look in different terms? I woke up with a toothache the other day. I'm ready for a solution. Okay. It hurt. And I call up the dentist and they're like, hey, uh, we could have that done and it'd take about an hour. It'll cost like 300 bucks. You know, do you want to do that? Come down, we'll schedule your appointment. I said, what else you got? Because I am in big pain. They said, okay, well, we could do this a different way. It'll cost $500. It takes about 30 minutes. You want to do that? Let's do it. I'm in, right? I wanted that solution. I was willing to pay for it. And if you think there are not other people in the United States that are willing to pay for those level of solutions, you're missing the point. You have a limiting belief. Just because you don't believe it's possible someone would pay for that does not mean that it's not possible that someone else will want to pay for that. Okay, that's a limiting belief. That's scarcity. We're not operating in that. We're in the belief of abundance. And in abundance, it says there's more than enough. You can do enough. There is more than enough. And there are plenty of other people out there willing to pay enough for things that are of value to them that solve solutions and pain points. Those are the kind of products that really scale. So once you get the profitability, once you understand the growth, once you're finding solutions to match that avatar, that that problem, you then create the opportunity for scale. That makes sense? So those are three big topics. So as those three topics get to understanding both strategy and some tactics, then you get to the next step, which is exit. Okay, that's step four. So of the four steps, understanding the exit opportunity is understanding that what we're building as a foundation is worth more in the end than at any time during the business building phase. Okay. We understand that revenue is vanity. We understand that profit is sanity. Okay. Keeping profit running makes you a sane business operator. And we understand that cash flow is king. E-commerce businesses create cash flow and when correctly, they are giving you the profit necessary. Okay. And that makes everybody sane. Makes you sane, makes a significant other sane, keeps the product moving, you know, from Amazon for your kids or whatever, and keeps the lights on. That's sanity. So what we understand about exiting is the uh, not the belief that I can run this in perpetuity. It's the realization that 20% by the Labor Bureau of Statistics most recent numbers, 20% of businesses fail in the first year. Okay, Most people say it's the opposite. 80% fail in the first year. They got it wrong. They got it backwards. Right. In actuality, 80% or I believe it was 70%. They said fail by year five. Okay, It is scale that causes most of these businesses to fail and then exit. What I want you to do is invert that today and change that belief into one that says I can create scale and then exit when I want and under my terms. 
And if I can create that opportunity from the very beginning and keep that end in mind, then e-commerce companies are a beautiful way of doing that. Because as we take on virtual real estate with physical products and deploy capital into this market, in 24 to 36 months, I can sell that business for two years or three years worth of profit at time of sale. Then I take that dollar amount and my knowledge and education, and I go right back in the market and do it again. Only I've got more knowledge, capital, and capitalization, and don't you think I could do it faster? Right? And I can. And so are my people because they will go back and redeploy that into a new business model of branding and go right back in the market. And this time they're doing it faster. They're doing it. So if you look at it like a franchise almost, you look like it, you're like opening multiple stores of brands. You're doing it within your business and within a segment called e commerce. But the ability for you to open multiple storefronts of brands, to open multiple different opportunities within this, give you the literally, literally unlimited capability of doing this over and over and over again, year by year by year. And you realize that once you hedge into that knowledge and understanding, the opportunities grow, the network grows, and your ability to move and profit in there grows as your network grows within that. And that's basically what I've done for the last decade. So as I look for exit and I look for opportunities, what I'm looking for is a business on the way up, a business that has operational independence possibly built into it, or one in which I can create operational independence, one that has uh, scalability on products, opportunities, upside potential. Maybe it's a human capital or knowledge capital deficiency that I can fill in very quickly. Maybe they just got some of the fundamentals wrong and we can come in and tweak that, change their profitability, elevate their brand in like 90 days really fast and they just don't see it. Maybe we see a whole other pipeline of products that they just completely missed that we could bring in and, and build that business up. So I look at those as an exit upside potential. Okay. Where are they positioned and how are they going? Do they have the ability to exit themselves or do they want to be a part of the exit, which ties a little into what you've talked about, Jason, the opportunity for them to potentially stay involved as an owner operator while still keeping a minor percentage in the business, keeping their intellectual um, capital involved in the business growth, bringing myself, my financiers and my operational strategy in on top of that and then taking it to another exit. You see how that works? So what's in it for me, the idea of moving these companies out to a zero to hero experience or a turnaround state that puts them into a hero experience and then moving them into my portfolios division where we acquire or exit them. We take them to hedge funds, capital, accredited investors. We show them around the block. We say, hey, look at this. What do you think? This is a product within our control because if you understand wealth building, then you understand it's not what I control, it's what I can paper, okay? And with those people within my business, I'm controlling to some degree the asset without controlling the liability, and I can help control the exit of that company, at which time I can bring an operator in or leverage them as an operator into the business, giving them an exit without exit potential, and then take that up to a higher tier and exit it for more, because believe it or not, this may seem strange to you, but selling a 10 to $25 million company is a lot easier than selling a $1 to $5 million company. So once we sell that business up and we find that opportunity, because for a lot of people that still sounds pretty risky, and it doesn't sound like it has the same upside potential as a 10 to $25 million company, but if we can raise it up to that point, okay, and pull that business to the next level, it's a lot easier to sell it when it engages, so we can actually sell it a second time. Now, could Voltage be involved in that at some point? Yes and no. Sometimes we have, sometimes we haven't. The opportunity for that to exit is that we're there from an operational perspective, and we see that exit too. You, the operator, have that opportunity too. As you grow and build that knowledge and capital, you can exit with the business, even take a minority position or an operator position, get paid a salary and a bonus for the next level because the guys who come in are like, hey, I'm not putting less than a million into this company to get it to the next tier of growth. So that's what I'm willing to do because I've got more money than time and you guys are going to run the operations. Great. We got that covered. Let's take it to the next exit. That makes sense? Okay.
So those are the four areas of that. Those are some tactics and thoughts. I'm sure we can break down. If you guys have questions, I'm sure I'll I'll shut up for a minute because I've been talking for a long time. Uh, but those are the four key fundamental components of both strategy and some tactics there that I wanted to deploy today uh, to get a little bit more into the, ar the overarching architecture of an e-commerce business, not just a you know single channel lock business. So what you're what I hear you saying, Neil, uh, for those of us that are interested in looking at how to develop this e-commerce business and how do we how do we get it 10x? You, you said your four things that we got to look at are profitability, growth, scale, and exit. Profitability, growth, scale, and exit. That's right. And so profitability, you said something interesting early on that I want to ask a clarifying question about, is that you said in on Amazon FBA, you want to make sure that bare minimum, the product, the, the hard product that you're selling, uh -huh. the physical product has to have at least a $12 profit. Net, Net profit. That's profit. Right. And uh, is that a, is there a reason why twelve dollars? What, what why is why is that? That elevates us above tier one into tier two, where our competition and solution oriented products are going to be at. If you get into the products that are typically three, five, seven to nine dollars in profit, you're going to find those are the products more geared towards um, emotional buying on the reviews or the price point. At which point, I want to take that out of the equation and I want to focus on the solution. I want to focus on that pain yeah. point. What are you willing to pay for the three hundred dollar or the five hundred dollar solution? That makes sense. And, and and that twelve dollar your 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 metric is twelve dollars in net profit, not gross profit. Net profit. That's right. Gross is the big pile. Net's what actually filters out the bottom. Yeah. You and you said actually you said there were four four uh, financial metrics that you pay attention to that most people need to make sure they understand: yep. gross profit, gross margin, net profit, and ROI. Mm -hmm. um, it amazes me as a business coach who works with entrepreneurs every single day, yep. how people don't know the difference between gross profit, net profit, <laughs> between gross margin and ROI. Like, so, so let's do, let's do a quick, quick breakdown. We'll take a slide stroll into some financial talk and then we'll go back to your second step. We talked about profitability, but you can't really understand why profitability is a step to 10 extra business until you understand what these terms mean. So gross profit, is the top line profit that you get. So if you, if you bought it for a hundred bucks and you sold it for 200 bucks, your gross profit is a hundred bucks because you made a hundred dollars. That's probably the worst example ever of that. Nope. You're <laughs> on target, that, man. You're over but that's exactly, that's gross. Right. But yep. then if you had $50 worth of expenses, like you had payroll, you had shipping costs, et cetera, out yep. of all that. That's right. Now you're, now you're net what you net which actually pull into the boat. Think about it that way. So you're, there's a million fish in the sea, but your net only pulls in what you get to keep. That's what and you the net in that instance is 50 bucks. That's mm -hmm. net margin or net profit, not margin, net, net profit. profit. Yep. Yep. Gross margin though mm -hmm. is what? The difference. How's that different than gross profit? Well, it's just the difference between the, the margin and the profit. It's the it's the the barrier between cost of goods or other services that have not been added on yet before you can calculate net. And this is where a lot of sellers get mixed up and in saying, well, my product has 80% gross margins. Okay, that's great. But after 80% gross margins and you put on Amazon fees and marketing and logistics and cost and other things, what are you actually taking home? So it may have 80%, but once the numbers pencil in, you might have like 3% profit. What I'm looking for is a minimum of 15% net profit, okay? And what I, one of the metrics that backs into that is that my cost of goods can't be more than 35% of that. 
because after 35% and adding on Amazon to 15%, I have to realize that, you know, those two fees right there are going to take up 40% of my cost, my total margin. If I don't equate that or calculate that correctly and go by those numbers, I'm going to end up with a product that I think could make me 10 or 12 or $20 in profit, but in actuality, I'm only making five to seven. And this mistake mm -hmm. happens a lot with people who get started in coursework or online Google crap in the Amazon world, and they find it out, guess when? Four to five months into this, after they've married their products, launched too many of them, are not getting enough sales and are not taking enough profit, and then realize I can't grow this business, okay? And then find out at the end of the tax year, they never need enough money to pay for their taxes too, which sucks. Yikes. All right, yeah. ROI is the last, the last one. ROI yep. stands for return on investment, uh, not return of investment. Everybody mm -hmm. pay attention to that. There's a big difference between on and of. Return o on investment, yeah. Is return on. If, if you're only concerned on the return of the investment, the quickest way to get a return of your investment is not to spend it. So quickly <laughs> assist and don't spend your money. 100% savings. <laughs> but, but, if, but return on investment is the percentage of growth you get from this. The, you know, if I spend $50 on a product and I sell it for 100, most people will say that's a 200% return on investment. Um, no, that's a 2x on your money. That's a 100% return on your investment. And this is where people get this all screwed up all the time, right? Because then they start thinking, well, this is a 200% return. No, you got the numbers wrong. You got the implication of the numbers wrong. If you look at it from that perspective, then you actually understand you have to subtract your costs first <laughs> from that in order to understand what that real ROI looks like. And you take that from a product level and that quickly gets reciprocated out to the other numbers. It gets reciprocated into the PNL and it gets into the minds of folks and they really screw this up. Right. So we need to understand the return on investment. OK, is not two extra money when you send a sell a product you bought for 50 for $100. Is not a 200% ROI. Okay, people make that one hundred percent. It's a 100%. And then you okay. so here, your cost. So here's the math for everybody doing this. Because when I, I was running my lighting company, ROI was a big thing that people talked about. All the time. Oh, yeah, every every, every CFO we talked to, well, what's my ROI? And you know oh. what they actually meant is when do yeah. I get my money back? Which when is simple payback. That's right. Which is something different. That's return of investment. And, and the best, quickest way to get your money back is not to spend it. But so I would have to tell them the calculate. Here's how you calculate. It. And here, here's the if you're right, if you're willing to write this down, people write this down. ROI, like the calculate the actual equation is the gain. So in other words, how much you made the gain minus the cost. Yes. Divided by the cost. There you go. That's it. That's how you get ROI. So so a hundred dollar a hundred dollar gain minus a fifty dollar cost divided by $50 is one. 50, that's 100 minus 50 is 50, 50 divided by 50 is one, right? That, that is the percentage, which you, you know, it's a one with a decimal point, it's 100%. Yep. So I know for those who don't follow the math, you're probably gonna be confused, but gain well, minus learn, cost divided by cost. Learn the metrics, understand what they are, do some more due diligence uh, if some of this is confusing for you today, but understand those fundamentals of business. They will help you from being tripped up later. They will, uh, they will, either hinder your ability to grow and scale, or they will allow you to grow and scale in your business. And that's a key fundamental of profitability that I want you guys to gather from today. So grow and scale, those are your next two things. So growth was the next one. And the way I understood you were talking about growth is first you work on your profitability. If you want to 10 extra e-commerce business, first make sure your profits are correct. You gotta make sure you have good profit. gross 
and good net. Now, second, if you're going to grow, you're going to grow the business. You got to make sure that you can take your product and put it into multiple streams or, or am I understanding that wrong? No, until you reach in my, in my book. Okay. My clients don't go off Amazon until they reach seven figures in sales on Amazon first. So growth will be understanding profitability of current products or products that you're going to launch two different tracks. Now let's, let's talk about the more complicated one real quick, which would be if I'm selling products and I need to turn it around, my profitability may be the most, it's probably the biggest factor we run into is I can't grow because I don't have enough profits. I don't have money, enough war chest, I don't have enough to pay myself. So getting profitability up first will allow you to then understand why the products you chose or what profitability is about those products. And that will help you become a better product researcher so that at the growth level, you're only launching products now where you understand true profitability. That allows growth. Because now you know what your return on investment will be. If you're going to spend $50,000 in product inventory and launches, you now know what a realistic ROI and a time of that return on investment will look like because you're no longer guessing. You actually know your numbers. And that is where growth comes. From growth, you will then understand your customer products and your portfolio, as well as your segment and competition and price points. And from there, you then know how to scale. Scale, economies of scale comes from adding on more. All right. And it doesn't mean I need more employees. It doesn't mean I need more warehouse space. It doesn't mean I need to go hire a bunch of people or do, you know, $100,000 in Facebook marketing. Scale within Amazon means I stay focused on providing the additional products for my avatar in Amazon that they're already buying from someone else. They're just not buying it from me because they're already in there. And the avatar of women 27 plus on Amazon who do 80% of the sales are buying all those other products too. They're just not buying it from you. And by Amazon's own admission, the 80 million plus Prime members are spending more than $1,000 on Prime every year. So where do you think I want to go? I want to follow that trail. I want to keep putting products in front of that customer until they spend $1,000 with my brand in a 12-month cycle. That is growth. And that will lead to scale. Okay? Because what does, it, what does that mean? It means I now know that to grow to scale... I'm going to deploy X amount of capital into what is known, what is working, and what is profitable. And therefore, I may either put that in cash or I'll go out and OPM it, somebody else's money, so that I can reach scale. And that's where most people fail at this. They fail in months, yeah. and it's literally 24 to 48, when they don't understand some of the basic fundamentals of growth and scale of what's working because they never set profitability from the very beginning, and they will literally just go the opposite direction in their business. They'll start to see downturn until they have to sell the company for personal reasons, liabilities, they've got to close shop, COVID hit. I mean, all of these indicators, factors, and stuff will affect any business, death, loss of a spouse, you dying, and no continuity in your business can all hinder the factor of that and cause those businesses to fail within five years. So I'm going to take you out to 24 months, and we're going to exit at the top of the game. You're going to get your money and go do it again and run another 24 months. And literally every 24 months we do this, you're not failing. <laughs> that make sense? <laughs> the, exit, the exit was your fourth step on how it to stack your e-commerce business. Pay attention to that. And one of the interesting things I, 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 you were talking about there, which is a good concept, is this idea of exiting twice. So you first exit by not being involved in the daily operations. You grow it to a point where you don't have to be involved. You get an operator to take over. And then they continue to build it. And then you exit again. But this yep. time you sell it and you walk yep. away. That's a killer, killer idea. That's, that's a concept I'm going to start talking about. There you go. Well, you heard it here first, but the end was, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, the, you, you got it. I mean, that's, that's the concept here. Not just a concept. That is the application. 
Okay, just if it may be conceptual for some of you at this moment, but that is the application of what we're doing. We're building brands, we're scaling them, we're bringing in operators, we're exiting them again. Um, these businesses can even exit three or four times over the years, right? Um, you may never know that it's occurring, but it's occurring all the time. Uh, we can acquire brands and turn them around and exit them as well, or we can bring in operators uh, roles or bring in capital roles to take over operations of existing businesses and follow the same process. I do it in multiple formats. One of them is in a coaching opportunity where I take a few people along every month along for the ride, make them, you know, take them from zero to hero and give them the opportunity to learn what we're doing. Uh, in other cases, we're involved in the exit um, from the network that I'm within, from the brokerages or networks or personal references or people come in and say, hey, I know you buy and sell e-com companies. What about this one? It hasn't hit the market yet. What do you think? Um, these are my favorites, right? The ones that have never hit the market yet. So exit is an opportunity. Why? Economies of scale, of course, with these businesses means I don't have to add on a lot of capital. So at time of exit, there's usually not a lot of debt to retire or a lot of problems within the business or complexities that make it difficult for someone else to acquire, especially if you set it up correctly from the beginning. The other aspect of exiting is inflation. We all know it's up, we've heard about it, we're feeling it a lot, um, and we understand the implications of that in our personal life. But of course, in businesses, everything has to rise up to make a difference with that inflation. In my e-commerce companies, I can move with inflation. I can raise prices, I can adjust, I can go with the market because I control it. So inflation doesn't impact as much, uh, in the buying aspect of me being a seller because I can move with the market. I don't have to wait for someone else to do it, right? And the exit aspect of that too comes down to the fact that money is worth more today than it is tomorrow. When I get that business to 24 months and I exit it at that point, it is worth that money at that time, okay? And I can take up to 24 months of profit or more back at time of sale, all right, I don't have to wait for 36 or 48 months to go cash flow the additional amount of that and wait for it to come in. I'm taking it back at time of sale and then I'm putting it back to work in the market, right? And because of that, I'm playing with inflation a very different way than most people consider it. So the opportunity for you to exit is there. Do you have to? No, no one has to exit. That's not the point. The point is it's a business strategy. It's what we call the platinum principle. And it is the strategy that might be the one you want to deploy because of the reasons we just mentioned today. It is an opportunity to create, build, exit, create, build, exit, and keep doing the process over and over again. And by the way, there's a lot more money to be made in the exit uh, than at any other time. <laughs> well, I wanna, I wanna talk about uh, the differences between the words innovation and invention. But before I do, I wanna talk yep. about our sponsor. So the sponsor of uh, my, my, my uh, EMS webinar series, the Entrepreneur Masters, uh, Master Series webinar is Story, and it's S-T-O-R-Y-Y. -Y. Why are there two Ys? Why? They're awesome. That's why. They are the company that's going to help you with your social media content. I don't know if you guys know Neil, have ever heard of Neil before, but Neil's got a pretty strong game on this on the old socials. He's, he's making videos all the time talking about this from Voltage's standpoint. But here's the thing, all of us on in business today have to be on social media. It's, it's really required. But the problem with being on social media is you don't know how to edit your videos. You don't know how to put in the, the cuts and the, and the on-screen graphics and the hashtags, and you don't know how to write the captions so that it captures attention. Well, that's where Story comes in. Story has developed an amazing company built around the concept of taking your content, whether it's content like this that Neil and I are producing today on this webinar, or purpose content where you shoot with your cell phone or your camera, you send it to story and they take it from there. They do the magic. They take it, they edit it, they cut it, they put it out there and they are phenomenal. If you follow me on the, any of the social media platforms, 
All the videos that you see out there with me on it are done by story. They are my social media team. They handle it. And you can try them out and get a huge discount on your first three months just by going to therealjasonduncan.com story. That's story with two eyes. therealjasonduncan.com story. Try them out. You'll be glad you did. So let's talk about the difference between innovation and invention. And I think this is an interesting concept. And this is kind of where we'll draw our, our conversation to a close today. But one of the things I know about entrepreneurs, and I know, Neil, you know this too, as one, is that what separates us from the average bear, from the average bear out there, is that we innovate. We take risk and we innovate. We don't have to be inventors, but nope. we take risk and we innovate. So I loved what you talked about, how you have developed this strategy around taking a crock pot and turn it into an Instapot. And taking an Instapot and turn it into an air fryer or taking that cheap bike seat and turn it into something else. You're just innovating something. Um, can you share as we kind of kind of land this plane today, one cool story of an innovative product, whether you were involved in it, yeah. like personally, it was your innovation or somebody else's. What's the coolest innovation story besides the Instapot? You already did that, but like, is there another yeah, yeah. story? You well, one story? of ours. Sure, sure. Um, we did a product line uh, not too long ago in the kids space uh in uh toys and stuffed animals okay it happened to be i've got four daughters and we had them all in four and a half years so i had a house full of diapers for like a decade um <laughs> and it's always somebody was diaper changing needing feeding etc this is probably i think one of my th my third daughter uh was up one night and she, you know mom was tired so dad got up and i i usually run the late shift with the kids uh, when they were younger this is the way we were mom would get up early dad stays up late that's cool we, we balance this out so that's why we've been together for 17 years but the end result is this kid's up, she's crying, she needs a bottle. I sit down, I flip on the television while she's feeding, and I'm flipping through infomercials. I had three, four in the morning, dead tired or whatever. And up pops this infomercial for a kid's product. And, you know, we're a sucker when we're new parents, right? It's like we want to buy everything. We want to protect. It's for your safety. And what all this, you know, all these products we're consuming as parents. And, by the way, it's a great niche, and it's very evergreen and very profitable, by the way. So we get this product on the, on the television, and it's this um, thing called um, uh, Seat Pets. Okay, and what it is 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 this doll. It looks like a dog and a cat, uh, and they got these animal faces, and they they can be hugged by the kids. They got these little pouches, and you put your head on it. And it's got a seat rest, and you know kids are using it. This is a great old infomercial. It's like you know your kids' necks are bad. You got to take them to the chiropractor. It's like you get one of these, and you solve that problem. It's like a really cool infomercial, right? And I'm thinking to myself, dang, they got to be spending a lot of money on an infomercial, like half a million at least, to get this on at 4 a.m. in the morning, like. That's pretty cool because I'm probably not the only parent up at 4 a.m. in the morning watching infomercials thinking I need to get up and buy this product tomorrow. So I did. And in the process of buying that product, I called on my partner. I said, hey, look, I saw this product. You know, what what do you think about this? What can we do with this? There's something here like these guys are putting out money for this product. So he comes back the next day and he said, OK, I thought it over. I talked to my kid and his at that point, his, his son was very into anime type stuff. And this was up and coming. And. You know, they have a different caricature and a look. They have kind of a different eye set, et cetera. And he said, what if, right? The big old what if question you talk about when you innovate is what if it could do this? What if it could do that? And he said, what if it had a bit of an anime face? What instead of a traditional character and animal face, we took like a penguin and a dog and cat and stuff and we made them look a little more anime. We widened their heads. We put bigger eyeballs. We changed the mouth structure. We changed the, you know, we, we look at a different body type. And he said, let's go check it out. So we go to Amazon. They're on there, only they're not doing very good with their listings. And we looked and very quickly we noticed people were like, well, the pouches aren't big enough and the doll is not stuffed right and the seamings aren't great. And we said, okay, we got three points we're going to innovate on. We're going to change these three points on this and we're going to launch. What are we going to call it? Well, we're going to call it 
uh, belt buddies. Okay, we're gonna call it a belt buddy. Just a cool name we came up with because you're in the car, there's a belt, and here's your buddy that's with you while you're in the car. We had bigger pouches, better seams, and anime faces, and we relaunched this product into the market. What we did is we ethically stole their traffic on Amazon away from them, from the product traffic they were bringing in from the infomercial. So we became a competitor. We became their, you know, Walmart to Target, their CVS, their Burger King. We became their competitor. We sold 2,000 units in eight days with zero marketing, right? We just put that product in the market and the first 2,000 unit Hail Mary Pass we had um, built out of India for these products sold out in eight days. And we were like, oh my gosh. So we ordered another one. It took two weeks to get in and we sold those out in another 10 days. And we were like, oh crap, we need like 6,000 of these. So we kept ordering and they took off like crazy. All we did was innovate. To their CPETs came a belt buddies. To their problems and opportunities, we created new problems and opportunities. We simply innovated and went to competition with them in the market. And because we were in early, we had the opportunity to be one of the other products in the market, following a little bit of trendy product in an evergreen niche. Okay, not a fidget spinner, but an innovative product for kids and parents. And we took that product out to market and eventually sold that brand. So that's just use the concept, just cross over two opportunities that are right there and just innovate a difference between them. It's not rocket science. You just have to be looking for it. It's what we call train your brain. Once you start to train your brain to look for those environments and look at those things around you, you will see them. They're not magical. Things don't just mysteriously trend because there's some magical thing happening in the background that allows them to go viral like fidget spinners and stuff. There is this intrinsic little bit of solutioning opportunity, kids safety, I want to cross over toys and oh boy, it looks like the anime characters my kids love right now. And so they crossed that over and it just met that. And you can find those ideas all the time when you're looking for them. You just have to be aware and train your brain to start looking for them. They are all around you every day. You just have to be trained to see them. You can hear more of stories like this with Neil on his podcast, the High Voltage Business Builders podcast. You can hear that on any podcast players. If you're a podcast listener, listen to this on my show, The Root of All Success at some point in the future and not here live. Uh, you can also go listen to Neil on High Voltage Business Builders podcast. Neil, if people are interested in getting in touch with you and uh, maybe looking into working with Voltage, how is they, uh, how, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yep. Simplest way to go about is just go to voltageb2b.com. That's voltageb2b.com. There'll be a page there with a free training you opt into, uh, and there'll be a podcast behind that. We talk about our business model. Kevin Harrington is there talking about our portfolios and our business model, what he called the As Seen on TV, which is Amazon for today. And we walk you about uh, through about 40 minutes or so of training that explains our model. There's Q&As. What do we you know, think you need to do? And it basically breaks down the whole concept of our model. If it's interesting to you and it sounds like something you are curious or even serious about, there's a text number uh, right below that video. It reaches me personally. You're welcome to text that message uh, with the call to action on that page, have a question and conversation with me and determine whether or not what we're doing fits your needs, wants and opportunities. We'll make sure it's a fit in an agreement. Everybody follows an application process uh, and then we'll get started if it makes sense that we work together. It's pretty simple. So voltageb2b.com, I put the link in the chat window if you're listening to this and can't see the chat, it's Voltage B2B and it's the number two in B2B, Voltage B2B number two. All right, well, Neil, thank you for being here, my man. I really, really appreciate the info and the intelligence that you shared with us on, on e-commerce. The four steps to 10X your business are profitability, growth, scale, and exit. Pay attention to those. And if you're in the e-commerce space, go back and check, uh, check this, app, this, uh, this webinar episode again and listen to Neil dive deep in that. So Neil, 
Thank you for being here today. I've got a few things I want to share with everybody. I told you I would tell you what's coming up next time. But Neil, you're welcome to go, man. Thank you for being here. I've got a few things to say to the listeners, and then uh, we'll, we'll all be done here. Thanks, Thanks for being here, Neil. Appreciate it. All right. So let me tell you a little bit about a couple of things, especially want to make sure that you understand what's coming up on the next episode of the uh, of the webinar series here. But before I do that, I'm going to ask you a question. How, how much is knowing when you could exit your business worth to you. You know, we talked about exiting in, in our show today, but but I want to give you the opportunity to figure out when you could exit by going to this website, amireadytoexit.com. That's amireadytoexit.com. I'll put it, a link in the chat window so that you can click on it directly there for those of you who are live. But you get a free report on how close you are to being able to exit your business. And someone who takes that assessment in the next 24 hours is going to get 50% off the next Business Accelerator, my group coaching program that starts on November the 29th. That's worth $4,000. The next EMS webinar is coming up next year, January the 11th at 3.30 p.m. Central Time, 2023. The topic is the top five tax strategies for entrepreneurs to use in 2023 to pay less tax. My guest expert is going to be Jeff Cheney. He's a CPA and a certified fraud examiner who has saved his clients well over $10 million in tax savings. Uncle Sam gets his fair share. Everybody's talking about fair share. Uncle Sam will get his fair share, but we don't need to send him any more than is legally required. As business owners and entrepreneurs, we need to tap into those ways that we can legally, ethically, morally, and by the tax code, make sure that we're not sending them more money than we need to. Because I can tell you from experience, when you oversend your tax money to the government, they ain't sending it back. They're not doing it. I overpaid uh, the state of Tennessee $90,000 in sales tax because I had a bad accountant several years ago. Did I get that money back? Nope. They ain't going to send it back. So figure out how to save taxes, how to pay less tax in 2023. So make sure you're here. How do you register for that? You go to therealjasonduncan.com slash EMS, which stands for Entrepreneur Master Series. So go to therealjasonduncan.com slash EMS. You can see that on the screen right now. I've just shared that on the screen. You can check that out. Go check it out and I will see you next time. I am the real Jason Duncan and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Follow Jason on social media at The Real Jason Duncan. Are you an entrepreneur who feels trapped in the weeds of daily operations, not experiencing the freedom you thought you'd have as a business owner? Want to know the way out? Take Jason's free exit readiness assessment to see how close you are to getting ready to experience true freedom and success as an entrepreneur. Go to amireadytoexit.com today. That's amireadytoexit.com. See you again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.